Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Class Podcast. Here, you will find recordings of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your Bible study, to replace your weekly church attendance, or to be your sole source of spiritual instruction. Go to church for that. This podcast is for members of my class who happen to miss a week here or there and don't want to fall behind. But before you listen to this episode, you may want to go to teachings.gym314.com and download student or teacher handouts, as well as any PowerPoints, so you can follow along visually and see what we saw in class, as well as take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app. I'd recommend Overcast. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Happy Labor Day weekend. I'm glad you're here. We have a special treat this morning. Uh, one of my dear friends, Mitch Johnson, is going to be teaching for us today as we continue our series in Romans. So uh, if you all will uh, welcome him, we'll have Mitch come and teach us this morning. All right. I, well, this is really loud. At least it seems like it to me because I, I don't do this every day. I've been simultaneously... Uh, Excited and dreading this for weeks now. It's been nine or ten years since I've taught an adult Sunday school class. We've, Sherry and I have taught your children here for years. So if I put somebody in a timeout chair today, don't be surprised. I'm very familiar with that and I'm not afraid to use it. Just asking, if I just mention it, the eyes are like, no, I'll be good. But most of your kids are wonderful. Most. Mo- most. We have two sons in their 30s, so we know. You know. We've been there, and sometimes they're not different than three- and four-year-olds still. And Sherry says, I'm not either, so we'll just go from there. We're going to begin reading today in, in Romans chapter 10, uh, mostly just because we have to start somewhere. Romans chapter 12 just totally shifts direction, but we're going to try to set the stage a little bit by reading these first two chapters. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. 
For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what the Lord has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are... Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you, 
provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off, you, excuse me, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by their mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We've just read Romans 10 and 11, but the real context leading up to Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 is all of Romans that we've read so far. It's chapters 1 through 11. They set the stage for Romans chapter 12 and the rest of the book. But here, what happens is Paul changes direction. He's laid out his case before us and has reached his conclusion. And he says here, I appeal to you, brother, therefore, brothers, or I beg of you by the mercies of God. What mercies? The mercies of God that Paul has told us about throughout the first 11 chapters of Romans. You know, those chapters, especially the early chapters, were hard chapters, right? To hear some of the things that Paul had to say there. But that is a portion of the mercy of God there. The gist of which in all these chapters is that God has made himself known to man, and even in man's rejection and rebellion against him, God, through his judgment and righteousness, has made a way for man to be redeemed by faith in Christ Jesus. This redemption is not limited to Israel, nor is it only to the Gentile. It is for all who believe. Mercies here in this verse is really a description of the character of God's compassion that he's displayed before us throughout Romans. Now we move on a little bit. 
you, you're going to notice right away that I'm not doing things exactly like Jim does. I'm not going right down through the copy of the text here with all the Greek tenses and all that stuff. Um, I've studied it, but it, that's just that's just not how I work, you know. <laughs> so. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual servant. Present means to show oneself, to place beside and to yield. It's a technical term used to describe the presenting of Levitical sacrifices and offerings. The burnt offering in the Old Testament was a sacrifice that was completely burned. There were five or six different sacrifices that the Israel, people of Israel were to uh, perform in the temple. But this one was wholly consumed. The rest of them, as they offered them, they were offered before the Lord, but later the priests that were serving in the temple at the time, they would consume them. That is what they ate and how they, how they lived at the time. But the burnt offering was completely burned. None of it was consumed by people. It was not to be eaten at all. It was completely, completely burned up. So the entire sacrifice was, was burned. And it's also important that the fire on the altar was never, ever to go out. I'm going to read a little bit from Leviticus Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13 says, A fire shall always be burning on the altar, it shall never go out. And Leviticus 1, 3 says, Let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of, of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, and shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar but he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. The common Israelite worshiper brought a male animal, a bull, a lamb, a goat, a pigeon, a turtle dove, whatever they could afford. It was all about where they were and the, their economic status, I guess. Um, and they brought that to the door of the tabernacle. The animal had to be without blemish, the worshiper then placed his hands upon the head of the animal and in awareness that this innocent creature was standing in for the sinner, he would seek the Lord for forgiveness and then he killed the animal immediately. The priests were also responsible to wash the various parts of the animal before putting it on the altar. The burnt offering was performed to atone for the people's sins against the Lord and was a dedication offering of one's life before the Lord continually. In the Levitical sacrifices, the offerer also placed his offerings so as to, to face the holy place. And so that is the idea of presenting it before the Lord. 
That's where that comes from. So here it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Body refers to, our, to the physical body of the believer. It is to be a living sacrifice in contrast to the slain offerings. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11 says, Now if we had died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Christ died for us and took our place. He was that innocent lamb. But another part of the sacrifice that the Israelites made was all about their dedication to the Lord. And really, in Romans 12.1, we're talking about dedicating ourselves to Christ. In Greek, it, let's see, here in English, in this version, it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In Greek, the word order is different. In Greek, it's present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God. I, I like that order. You know, a lot of times, the word order in Greek doesn't mean much because of the endings of the words. They, they, they help you translate into English. And it, it might not be important here that the word order is the way it is in Greek. I just think it's cooler. <laughs> I just like it that way. The sacrifice. I think it describes it better. Present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable. I think we can, in some ways, perhaps misunderstand it if we turn that around the other way. Chrysostom, an old, long ago Christian, asked, he says, How can the body become a sacrifice? Let the eye look on no evil, and it is a sacrifice. Let the tongue utter nothing base, and it is an offering. Let the hand work no sin, and it is a sacrifice wholly consumed by fire. But more than this, we must actively exert ourselves for good, the hand giving charity, the mouth blessing them that curse us, and the ear ever listening for God. The Greek word... Hagias. I've just lost my place. Okay, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Greek word hagias means holy. It means to be set apart. In Greek culture, it didn't have the sense of purity or freedom from evil. It meant set apart. It was taken from here and put over there. That's all it meant. But in Christian usage, it does. In that God himself is infinitely pure and free from sin. So the physical body of the believer put at God's disposal, presented to him, is holy. Both in the sense of being set apart for his use and holy in the sense of being used 
for pure and righteous purposes and free from sinful practices. Holy and acceptable. Acceptable is a compound word, ureston. It's made up of the word arestos, meaning acceptable, pleasing, approved, satisfactory, and you, meaning good or well. It speaks of something that's well-approved, eminently satisfactory, or extraordinarily pleasing. So, we should be holy. Our, our living sacrifice should be holy and extraordinarily pleasing to God. Here's the end of verse 1. Just keeping track of time. It says spiritual worship. In the King James Version, it translates the word spiritual in this verse as reasonable. And I, I believe that this is the mo more correct way. And here's why. The Greek word is logokane. It is an adjective formed from the word logos. And when we hear the word logos, we automatically think of word or the word. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. We think about Jesus. We think about the scriptures. But here in its adjective form, it has more to do with the mind. Because in Greek, logos is all about mind and the reason. Vine's Expository Dictionary, New Testament Words, says logokane means pertaining to the reasoning faculty, reasonable and rational. So what we have here is a worship that is well thought out, reasoned. It doesn't, this doesn't take away from spontaneous worship. Like when we're in church and, 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 and we're singing and, and, and you just can't contain yourself and you, you raise your hand, you shout glory, hallelujah. Or the pastor's preaching, Daryl. Daryl's preaching and you say, Amen! Spontaneous worship like that. This is worship on purpose. And when the priests offered their sacrifices in the temple on a daily basis, they were performing their service to the Lord. They were performing their worship to the Lord. on a daily basis, on purpose, the way, in their case, the exact way the Lord prescribed for it to be done. And ideally, they did it with their whole heart in dedication to Christ. Well, they didn't know that then. But that's the way it should be. But it, it's easy for us to take things that should be acts of worship for us and turn them into this is just what I do. And many of the things that we do in, in service in the church, we can do in the flesh. You know, you know. So the challenge is to, on purpose, serve the Lord.
and worship Him. So plug this into your mind when you're working in a nursery or you're working in Awana or you're teaching Sunday school or you're singing in the choir that this thing I'm doing today, this nursery work or this Awana work that I'm doing tonight is my worship to the Lord. You know, all the Lord ever really wants of us is us. All of us. So what I've done here is I've rearranged a few words in verse 1 to where I, I, I think it works. To this. From present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reason, spiritual service, to our reasonable worship is to prevent, present our bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable to God. I, I think that's easily understood. And, um, and that's, what the, that's what the Lord wants of us. Now we're going to move on to Romans chapter 12. And, um, and it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to start with the word world, because I want to make sure that we all understand what the world is. Because we, we hear a lot... And, and in the circles that, that I came up in as a Christian, I didn't get saved until I was almost 21 years old. I was a sailor, and I was everything evil that a sailor is, or can be. Sorry. <laughs> but the Lord saved me out of that. And, and He did a marvelous work. I mean... Here I am today. I mean, I could be somewhere not good, right? And um, he's he saved me. He and he's used me to do different things over the years. He gave me a filter. <laughs> they don't know how much trouble you've kept me out of over the years, do they? Sometimes it's like I'll say, "He just needs killing." She says, "You can't kill him. You're a Christian." <laughs> But he needs killing. Some people just need killing. But I think sometimes we get a, a false understanding of what the world is. In the churches that I was in, the world was, worldliness was pretty much anything the pastor didn't like. Right? It was wearing wire rim glasses back in the early 70s. It was, I had a... Eye doctor wouldn't sell wire rim glasses because hippies wore them. And, you know, but that's, that was the day I grew up in. Women wearing pants, ever, particularly in church, all that. You know, that can be worldliness, perhaps, but it is not worldliness as defined by the Scriptures. Okay? The word world here is Ione. It means the age or time. And according to Trench, it means... The world means all of that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, 
hope, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again to inevitably exhale. All of this is included in the word world. Bengal says that the world is the subtle informing spirit of the cosmos or world of men who are living alienated and apart from God. That's, those, all that put together is, is awesome. Because even though sometimes we can't define the world, we know it. It's, it's real. Sometimes it's almost palpable where you can feel it. Not now. It's there. Sometimes it's blatantly apparent. But most of the time, the world, it, it, it's, it's like this Play-Doh. Throughout time, in different places, this substance here is the world. The age. What we're talking about. It, it has form. It has substance. You can't see it. You see evidence of it. But it changes its shape for the time, whatever the age is throughout history. But the one thing that is always the same is that it is always against God. Always. It may at times appear to be pro-God, but it's a lie. There's always... One, that's one thing about world, the worldliness, is that there's always just enough truth to deceive some. And you'd be amazed who's a deceived and, and who isn't. It's like, has anybody ever watched The Walking Dead? Anybody? Really? I remember this one scene way back in the beginning of the show when they're at the um, Centers for Disease Control. And the doctor that was the big dog there, well, he was the only one alive. <laughs> he, he whispered into Rick's ear something. And for episodes, you didn't know what he said. And then it was finally revealed in one episode where Rick told the people, the doctor, he said, we're all infected. Okay? And it's the same thing with worldliness. We're all infected. We cannot go through this life untouched by the world. There are things inside our head that have tainted everything that we believe and everything that we do. And the only way for us to fight against that is here. And this is totally not what I have written down. <laughs> it's been, did I tell you it's been like 10 years since I taught a class? I got I to I gotta get it all out. Because it might be another 9 or 10 years before somebody talks me into this. I'm sorry. I, I am really out of time. This is the, this is the world... And this is you and me. 
And what the world does is it comes along and doesn't, be, we don't become the world. The world doesn't become us. This isn't going to work very well. But just, just the idea that what the world does, we are children of Christ. We are His. But the world will come and cover us up. And sometimes the world is so effective in covering up who we really are that no one can see Christ in us. But inside, our inner man hasn't changed. We are in Christ, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But the world will do everything it can to cover us and to keep us from being effective in our lives for Christ. That's conform. Well, that's the world, I'm sorry. Um, and the Scripture says, do not be conformed. And being conformed means to put on the outward expression of something that doesn't come from within us. It's not representative of our heart. It means to shape something to be like something it's not. In this Plato, my hands are going to stink all day. <laughs> this Plato can be shaped into, to look like things it is not. You can make it, if you had the skill, you can make it to look like a car. But it's not a car, it's still Plato. And that's what happens with us when we live conformed to the world. We are not the world. We're children of Christ. And the word conform means transitory, unstable, changeable. And this word can never, ever be used to speak of an inner transformation. If we could, are con completely conformed to the world, we still, as believers in Jesus Christ, are still His. And that can never be taken away from us. Now it says here, it says, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The word is metamorphosis. The first thing I think of with metamorphosis is caterpillars and butterflies. If there's anything else, I didn't get beyond that. You know, because that to me is just miraculous. You get this worm with legs and it turns into an incredible butterfly. You know, it's 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 awesome. I, I, I love that. I will be 63 years old in a couple of weeks, and I am still fascinated by some things in life. The same things that fascinate your three- and four-year-olds that we work with, they still fascinate me because I don't, I don't understand it. And sometimes I don't want to understand because it, it can take the wonder away. You know. Anyway, meta means change and morphe means form. We're, we are to be completely changed from the inside out. This is a transformation that takes place within the inner man, and we're to do so by the renewing of our mind. But in the end, it is not us that makes the change, it's the Holy Spirit working in us as we yield to Him. As we definitely, intelligently, and habitually yield to the Spirit, He will put sin out of our life and produce His own fruit within us. The word testing means to prove with the expectation of approving and finding that the thing tested is true. When the Spirit has control over His minds, when we are renewed, we are able to put our lives to the test for the purpose of approving it. 
When our minds conform to the Word of God and we experience what obedience is to the Word, we find out what it means to have the Word saturate and control our lives. So we see, in the end, that it really is the Word of God, and we thus approve it. John 7, 17 says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. So I'm going to end on this note. This is the Mitch Johnson translation. And uh, I'm sure some people would go spastic because I've done this. Because I'm not a Greek scholar. I've had Greek a couple of times. The same semester, a couple of times. You know, Greek is hard, but I love it. You learn so much. And sometimes... You don't know how to explain it to other people. And that's a struggle I've had the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm reading in, in the Greek and, and looking up the words to, to see what they mean and trying to find the tenses. And sometimes I run across something and I'm like, that's so awesome. And I don't have a clue how to tell anybody. <laughs> and it's just, it's just like that. So here's my translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beg of you, my brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a sacrifice, living, holy, acceptable to God, which is your well-reasoned worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be completely changed by the renewing of your inner man, that by testing you may understand the will of God, what is good and acceptable and complete. And I'm done. Thank you all for letting me come.